welcome to the Property Doctor Podcast with your host, Dr. Andrew Threadgold. If you're looking for a podcast with inspiring stories, industry insights, and discussions about entrepreneurship, you've come to the right place. Remember, if you want to follow what Andrew is doing, you can find him at Cornerplot Properties on Instagram. For now, let's get on with the show. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the Property Doctor podcast with me, your host, Dr. Andrew Threadgold. And this is it, ladies and gentlemen. This is the pinnacle of my podcasting career, as I've got one of the my long-term YouTube favorite producers and content creators on the podcast. It's Mr. James Sinclair, an entrepreneur's entrepreneur from the Party Man Group. How are you doing, James? Yeah, it's good to be with you, Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> You could call me Andrew, but if you prefer calling me Doctor, then keep oh, going. No, just, I've never never been interviewed by a doctor before. Really? Other than for a rash. <laughs> uh, I've seen a few rashes in my time. I can oh, assure you. Are. <laughs> you poor thing. So uh, for those few who don't know you, well, like I, I feel like I know you a lot, but for, for the one or two out there that don't know you, could you give me just a little synopsis of how you've ended up in this position to be the person that you are today? Yeah, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a business person that um, has a number of businesses um, around London. We own a chain of day nurseries, um, a couple of outdoor attractions, make teddy bears, children's arts and crafts, ice cream, cakes, bakery products. Um, we own commercial property. Um, we employ about a thousand people um across our group um um we're just about to buy a hotel as well uh, wow. so so we have this sort of mantra as a business that we're building brands that families love um and we've mm. been doing it now for two decades um wow and you didn't start like that though did you weren't you a children's entertainer at the beginning yeah yeah it's sort of it's a continuation of the same business that's gone through many guises so that same company that was the entertainment's company um uh, still exists but rather than going to other people's visitor attractions and providing entertainment it's become its own visitor right. attraction providing its own entertainment on site um yeah and, and we have some cultural rules for our business we're frugal on costs so we can be generous on investment we like buying businesses that i call folding into existing empire but the professional term would be vertically integrated yeah um uh yeah and, and and that's what we do and we do as much stuff as we can in-house so you know yeah we sell loads of ice cream we make the ice cream you know we sell loads of cakes and donuts and cookies we make all that <laughs> stuff you know yeah um, this is the rossi brand own. that you've got isn't it yeah rossi yeah it's a hundred year old business yeah we um yeah we make all our own signs do our own marketing um yeah that, that's us yeah it's uh, like as i've said i've been following for the years over when you've been like documenting your progress on youtube and i think it's been absolutely fantastic and i i do like the um the the stuff that you you talk about because would you say that entrepreneurs are wired differently to normal people like, well i think i'm wired differently to normal people <laughs> but, but, yeah, i think there is a clear definition between maybe entrepreneurial people and business people mm -hmm. and i would say entrepreneurial people um don't necessarily do it for money um they do it because they like building things 
um, yeah. and creating things, which is very different to a businessman. You know, if I just wanted to make money, I would sell everything out and own a load of commercial property. I know I had to do all that, but I'd be bloody bored and probably mm. depressed. So, yeah, mm. I get a real kick out of bringing out a strawberry lemonade ice cream or a strawberry cheesecake ice cream or, you know, <laughs> or making or building a dinosaur park or a big adventure play area or, yeah, you know, yeah we're refurbing a beach at marsh farm at the moment a, a fake beach and uh yeah they're, they're just a summary of the few of the things that i'm getting up to this week really right <laughs> so what does a day in the life look like then at the minute is, is it check not out my youtube channel yeah youtube channel will document it all for you there no there's no um i mean it they are just a series of meetings after meetings after meetings and then um you know, making things happen. I spend probably more time on, on the marketing and customer generation or income generation ideas than operations. Um, I drive into operations every now and then say, oh, I think that's a bit naff. We can do that better. But really, I believe in the, a philosophy called E plus M equals S, which is entrepreneurship plus management equals success. So my key job is to find really good management people and let them manage the business so that I can then go and grow the business. And I think the burnout for business owners that a lot of them find is when they're doing the growing and the operating and you just can't do it. You know, some of the things that we were talking about before you come on air, you know, like the burnout of being a doctor mm-hmm. and so many of your doctor colleagues um, finding that challenge. I think entrepreneurs, if they're focusing on, imagine you're a doctor and you're, you know, the, the way I would summarize it, if you've got to make the medicine, deliver the medicine and be a nurse, you know, you're doing all of the the spheres like that's what a lot of business owners do you know yeah. they're, they're they're doing the r&d of the medicine and then they're doing the we've got to prescribe that medicine then we're doing the aftercare you know you're doing and then they're driving the flipping ambulance as well you know you've got <laughs> to have these clearly defined um roles to be able to do the mind space well and that's yeah. why i mean the best analogy i give it is like running a school i'm sure if you've listened to my stuff um you know you can't be the teacher and the head teacher you need mm-hmm. to do but both jobs so important and if you merge the two together, you will burn out. You mm. will not do them well enough. Mm. And um, I don't really do any management stuff. I do just growing and leading and entrepreneurial bits. Mm. And was that, I mean, there's there's quite a bit there in that we could kind of go into in terms of being a GP as well, because uh, as we spoke before we came on, look, most people aren't aware that a GP practice is, a, is its own small business. Um, and the we there's a you get a contract you tender for a contract or you you have an NHS contract which provides you a, a, a set of money that you use to pay the bills and your staff and then at the end of the year whatever's left is a profit that's split between the partners um, and most GPs I don't think I'm out of order saying this most GPs have absolutely no interest or clue about running a business yet they have to run these little businesses. With that turnover, anything from five hundred to five million quid, um, and they don't know how to do it, and they've got to do that as well as do the clinical stuff, which they actually enjoy, and all the rest of it. Yeah, um, which is why people have practice managers, and practice managers are quite hard to find. But that's a whole another topic on its own. But coming back to what you said there about you, you find good management and let them do their thing. When when did that happen in your kind of? 
personal career because you can't have been like that from the beginning. You must have had the you must have been the teacher and the head teacher at one point, surely. Yeah, but for literally months, I would right. say. So I employed a secretary at seventeen. Did you? Yeah, and um, she worked in my. Her name was Jean. She worked in my nan's bedroom. I was very lucky, really. Um, it, I picked up Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson. And uh, I've done a, quite a few um, videos on ADHD, dyslexic, autistic entrepreneurs. <clears throat> and especially if you look at dyslexic entrepreneurs, 35% of self-made millionaires in the country are dyslexic. I mean, mm. there is... That is a huge statistic. Mm. Um, and I think one of the main reasons for this is that from a very young age, dyslexic kids have said, well, if you can't do it, just get some help, which just sets you up mm. so well for business. So when you look at, um, I've got the term for non-dyslexic kids. Do you know what it is? As a doctor, I'm sure you do. Um, non-dyslexic kids. Yeah, or non-dyslexic people. It's... Um, neurotypical i think yes uh, is that one? yeah yeah so i done quite a bit of research like, why is that i mean i was at a bank conference when uh i heard that statistic and you know now that's like a third of everyone that's entrepreneurial are dyslexia i mean this is mad mm. you know like why is that there's got to be and i might i haven't gotten the research right other than i believe that neurotypical kids are taught from well if you can't do it you've got to learn how to do this and you've got to stand on your own two feet and we will drum this into you until you know how to do it then all of a sudden oh you're dyslexic well we give you permission to work outside the system mm. and i think there is something in that 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 because they've given permission and that or they themselves have had to find a workaround um and however they do it mm. they do it you know good friend of mine james martin um uh, not the chef, uh, very good. He, um, he is worth tens of millions of pounds and he cannot read or write at all. Uh, really? He's one of the wealthiest people I know. And his workaround life, I mean, you go for a dinner with him, he can't read the menu. And the wow. way he works around that, you would never know. Like he says to the waiter, what's most people been having tonight? What is your favorite thing on the menu? Then <laughs> he gets the way to sort through the menu. He goes, yeah, I'll have that. You'd never know. And he's just found a workaround. And and I think that's, um, you know, what happens to entrepreneurial people is that, well, we haven't got the money to do what we want to do. We'll find a workaround. Yeah. Or we haven't got the resources. Uh, or we actually, I'm not very good at the admin or the organization or doing the books or doing the VAT return. I'll just have to get someone to do it. Uh, otherwise, yeah. I can't do it. And so maybe a neurotypical person would go, well, we need to save up some money before we go and do that um, because that's the right thing to do. But if you're trained from a very young age to find a workaround, that can be very resourceful for business. Mm, that's a fascinating way of thinking about it because neurotypical people go through that traditional educational system yeah. where you're trained to think in a certain way, aren't you? And then yeah, the, yeah. the more kind of... Um, deeper you get into the education space and then you go to a levels and then university and then on from there you become very narrow-minded in your problem-solving ability yeah and i think that's definitely something that i've i've seen coming out of medicine and into business is that the way doctors think about something is in, is completely different to yeah. the way 
entrepreneurs or business people think about um, and also the the ability to pivot quickly it just seems to be high in adxd autistic dyslexia i mean if i put that sort of little group together which mm. we probably shouldn't do but the pivoting in and out of something that's fun if it's not fun we just stop doing it yeah whereas i think i meet lots of business people that hate their life they're making plenty of money um but they don't enjoy it mm. and well, i just so. will not i will not be party to that no it sounds like you've uh you've, you've built your system and your your business in a way that really suits your personal wants and needs and your personality yeah absolutely yeah only yeah. one life. I, what I want to do, and I want to do, I want to build businesses that inevitably, you know, create fun for families and, you know, that we can be proud of. Mm. And what kind of footfall do you get at, at your businesses? What's what, Have you got any numbers on that? <laughs> two million customers a year now. Is it? Wow. So two million. We are a business. Affected. We are a business that takes a little bit of money from a lot of people a lot of the time. Mm. And, and that's why I like us trading in recessions. You know, we, we're trading well with the overheads. Yeah, bloody hell, we've got to manage that in a, uh, the current climate, you know, our utility costs and food costs mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the cost of running a business is higher at the moment. But as long as you can get through those 24 months, these economic cycles of recession, inflation, utility costs go through the roof if you look over history over the last hundred years you know every 10 years one of these little buggers turn up and yeah. you know as long as you can get through that 24 months um you go back to normal do you know I, I saw that i went into bp this morning and all of these screens had been removed from covid i was yeah. just like oh, that, that whole year or two years of just complete upheaval we've all gone back to normal now yeah it's like we forgot the screens in the supermarkets because everyone, I always say this about uh, economies and people and, and life, we're like elastic bands. And so we get stretched at periods of economic cycles and hardship. But what we want as human beings is for that elastic band to go back to its original state. And that's just the way we're wired. And so I, I've just the foresight because I've gone through 20 years of this now. I've seen three or four of these now. I just go, yeah. yeah, as long as we can get through the next 24 months, it'll all go back to normal. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things that I wanted to, to speak to you about, actually, was what you think. Because as someone looking to enter the business space myself, I was interested to hear your thoughts on what are the current challenges for businesses. I mean, the obvious one is, you know, inflationary pressure and the cost of fuel and all the rest of it. But I, I've heard you talk about kind of the cost of shipping things from China, but that's coming down. And so things Crash are changing down. at the minute. I see another elastic band analogy for you there. You know, we stretched that to $20,000 a container. Guess what everyone did, including me? Just won't order stuff at the moment then. Mm. Just won't do it. Well, what did Lidl and Audi do? They saw, oh, we'll just buy our own ships. So they brought all the <laughs> – and then there's all these capacity on the liners – we were paying 1500 quid a container in 2019. Then it went to 20,000 pounds. It's now back down to 1500 quid. You know, so that's going to really help inflation. If anyone's listening to this, you know, you know, I, my personal opinion is shipping is one of the biggest drivers of inflation for the Western world because we import everything, literally toilet rolls, coffee beans, cleaning stuff, 
foodstuffs, you know, um, clothes, everything comes, you know, into the Western world. Materials for building houses, literally everything comes on a ship. Um, and when it's 20,000, you think about this, just sofas, right? You can get 10 sofas in a uh, in a shipping container, and it was 20,000 pounds. How much more is that sofa going to cost? You know, mm-hmm. 20,000 divided by 10, that's 500 quid, isn't it? Yeah, 500 quid per sofa just on shipping. Now it's 1,500 quid. I would stop working that out now. Mm-hmm. So I bring in teddy bears. It was costing me a pound per teddy bear. And when we sell it wholesale for six fifty, a pound of that six fifty is the uh, just the shipping cost, and it's now down to about ten pence. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone's holding stock that they bought for the last two years. So it's gonna take like another year probably for that shipping reduction to work through the system. But we'll start seeing, you know, wood. Um, and still all come down in price coffee come down in price you know think about coffee as the third biggest uh, commodity traded in the world mm. and when shipping prices go down from 20,000 to 1500 quid we're going to start seeing coffee come down dramatically yeah. um and so i really see inflation uh, well it's we're starting to see i saw fuel at 150 rather than 190 just um four weeks ago i mean that's these are it's really coming down and that so again it's like as long as you get through the 24 months you're all right aren't you and that, if you can have that mind space to know that these things are not forever ever mm. because competition and the global market's always moving around you know yeah i think yeah i totally agree i was speaking to a business owner the other week actually who's who does um container storage um you know, the, all these containers that come in, he stacks them up. And I was asking him about whether the cost of shipping and cost of fuel and all the rest of it was particularly impacting his business. And he was saying, no, you know, people will always need the containers. It, we are yeah. recession proof. In fact, one of the things that we're looking at is he was talking about there's, there's, 60, there's a 60 percent um, deficit in container storage in the uk so he's looking at buying acres of fields just to stack containers on because there's even yeah, more they're needed. a good business and very easy to finance um so you can so once you get going you get loads of asset finance on that i've looked to doing it on some of my land basically getting the planning permission is the challenge on that one because right. no one really wants to live next to a container park no. <laughs> so that is the the challenge so that's why farmers are doing it because they don't really have neighbours. And if you've got farmland, it's quite easy to get the permission on it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've actually looked into that. I think they are good businesses. Um, yeah, and I like commercial property and commercial storage. But for you, what I would be focusing on if I was building a trading business, especially with your knowledge and your profession, is the key metric for me for what makes a great business is a business that has margin, right? regular residual income and customers. And then the big one is love, want, and need. Okay. Uh, and I speak about this at literally all my seminars. If you find a business where people love what you do, they want what you do and they need what you do, you will never not be in business. Let me explain. So the iPhone has become a love, want, and need business. People love their iPhone or their Samsung or whatever smartphone. They want it, and if it breaks, they feel like they need it. They will go and get it repaired that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and healthcare is another one of those. Um, you know, I, I do think there is a 
I think is really smart and still not as well known. Like, you know, the, um, what I was talking about, if you need to speak to a doctor and you can pay and do it on your phone and not have to wait for an appointment. God, if I had your knowledge, I would definitely invest in setting something like that up and right. have like three or four doctors and an agency with me and they get 50% of the, uh, you know, it's 50 pound a call, they do the prescription, they send it to you. I just think that is a really cool business model, you know, because for people that are time poor, are they aware that they can do that mm-hmm. and probably do it on a subscription? Yeah, it costs you hundred pound a month and you can have a call with a doctor and you get like 10 doctors signed up and you know it's like an only fans account for doctors <laughs> if you know what i mean <laughs> and i just um you know i really or you know uh i just think that's a but that would be a model that i think is and once you get that profitable i don't because there's no real cost to sell to it and i reckon there'd be loads of doctors that would like to earn another three four five hundred pound a month pocket money for doing mm. some calls um, for them time poor people that you know you could go to companies literally come to a company like me and say yeah look if uh, we would do um, virtual appointments with all your staff it costs two thousand pound a month um for up to so that any of them can call us we will do their prescriptions save time get people back into work quickly oh really mm. that's yeah. a great business yeah it sounds like a very good idea doesn't it there's one or two like that. Um, but I don't know. I didn't, you said that to me when you came on air. Yeah. See, I've got a guy that I was recommended from another entrepreneur that, you know, I just, I just, you, know, you can't get in to book and see anyone. And you have to speak to the bitch receptionist in Peter K. <laughs> have you seen that Peter K sketch? Yeah. I just love that. I think he's like, hit the nail <laughs> on the head. I want to speak to my duck to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, I love it. Uh, and uh, anyway, so I thought I was uh, had a little secret there that I actually have a number for a doctor that I can just FaceTime uh, and have that call. And, and then you said that there's two other companies doing it. I'm like, that's not marketed enough or branded enough that that yeah. is available, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I mean the the premise of it is is brilliant. The um, these businesses that we've that I spoke to you about, uh, some of them have had significant uh problems with the gmc so as i also talked to you before we came on the gmc at the minute are incredibly overzealous in what they're doing um and some of these businesses are getting investigated because the follow-up from the the patient care typically disappears so the there's nothing to stop these people on your phone for for small things like your your personal rash maybe or you know yeah, the, yeah, dis- yeah, the yeah. discharge that you might be getting yeah. from somewhere yeah, yeah, but that yeah. kind of thing that's it it's suit it's suitable but if you've got something that's a chronic thing that needs follow up that could turn nasty into a cancer and then that person on your phone disappears yeah. then there's no you know so there's there's all sorts of regulatory things about yeah. it and, and I, know. It's, it's, I know i just i was just trying to parais on play no i know and I love that's it. a love and I hate, and lead business you know I, I hate to be the person that th- that thinks of a problem yeah. for every solution but yeah, it's, yeah, but no, I'm just I, giving I, you an idea of what's you. actually happened. Oh, I'm not going to go and do it because I'm not a doctor, but I was trying to give you an yeah. example uh, of what um, what is a love, want, and need business. And people, when they're ill, like I always use the dentist analogy, like if you've got toothache, 
the world stops to see the dentist, doesn't it? You know, yeah. you just sort the thing out. And like the iPhone breaking, you just sort the thing out. Um, and then, but the, usually with love, want and need businesses, um, they can be to a degree commoditized. And so that's why you need to make sure you choose stuff with margin. So for example, a supermarket is love, want and need working to quite slim GPs. Mm. Um, but, they get huge cash flow. I mean, you think of a the average supermarket, like a Tesco and Sainsbury's of size, can do anywhere between two and a half and three and a half million per week per store, uh, and then they're paying all their stuff on a hundred days um, or hundred twenty days if you're Tesco's and stuff. Mm. And uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but basically they're getting all the cash up front, paying it later, and then so they're getting slim margins, but turning billions of pounds. If you're doing, you know couple of million quid at store and you've got a thousand of things a week yeah. you know yeah. that, that's a nice business to be in but we saw i sort of said to anyone any business that done well through covid and pandemic is uh, you know is a loved one to need business you know because the government said well these are the businesses that are allowed to stay open sainsbury's tesco yeah. has yeah. you know they're allowed to stay open and they just had the best time ever didn't they they were just loving life yeah um, yeah and for some reason, healthcare. B&Q as well could stay open. I'm yeah, not yeah. sure what that was about. And that pretty much sums it up for this episode of the podcast. I'm sure you'll agree James is quite an interesting chap. So don't forget, join me again next week to hear the rest of this interview with James Sinclair. All for now, see you then.